dust in the wind, dust in the wind. So my wife, Melissa, was born and raised in Moab, Utah. So we get out there a few times a year. We were just out there about a month ago. And whenever we're there, when we go to church, the church that she went to her whole life that the two of us got married in, there's a guy that I always like to talk to. His name's Robbie. And I like talking with Robbie because Robbie is an EMT who works at Canyonlands National Park. And I think that's a really interesting place. If you know anything about Canyonlands, that's where um, uh, the movie 127 Hours, that story, takes place. You heard of that story where Aaron Ralston got his arm trapped under a boulder and had to saw it off with a dull pocket knife, and he survived 127 hours trapped there? Yeah. So you can imagine being an EMT there at that park is pretty adventuresome, right? So I literally went up to him and I said, tell me about your latest adventure. And he said, I got one for you. I got a great story. I was like, awesome. I want to hear it, Robbie. And he said, well, recently we had this guy who was doing, going base jumping. You guys know about base jumping? Jump off a cliff. And Robbie works in a section of the park called Island in the Sky. And it's literally like an island in the sky. There's six, 800-foot cliff drops off the edge of this island, right? And it, it, there's this guy that was base jumping, and he jumped off the edge of the cliff, and his parachute didn't work. So when he jumped off, he fell 300 feet, and he landed on the edge of the cliff. I want to show you a few pictures of where this took place. So this is the whole cliff. So he was jumping off the very top of it, and if we zoom in in this next photo... You can see where he landed, 300 feet down. And we can look at the next photo. You can see the EMTs bravely going there to carry him off, get him uh, onto a helicopter and carry it off. What, what Robbie told me is not only was that pretty exciting, you know, going there to help somebody, but what's amazing is that this man fell 300 feet and only broke one bone. What? How does that happen? He broke his leg and that was it. He was fine. He never even lost consciousness, Robbie said. He was there, awake, he was breathing, his heart was beating. So they got him, sent him to the hospital, but really it was just, you know, stitched up a little bit, you know. It wasn't too big of a deal. But he said, you know, Matt, what makes this story even more fascinating is that not too long back, we had another man who was in the park, and he was walking on the road. And he tripped over a speed bump, he fell and hit his head, and within 24 hours he was dead. You could fall and trip over a speed bump anywhere. You don't even have to be in Canyonlands National Park to do that, right? And he said it's just amazing that this guy fell 300 feet doing something reckless and survived with just a broken bone. And this other man died from tripping over a speed bump. What's going on here? Have you ever noticed this about life? It seems a bit uneven. That something so kind of incredible can happen and that's awesome. How can someone survive that? And then on the other hand, someone could die so suddenly. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem even. It seems sometimes that life is just schizophrenic. Or someone in the first service called out is bipolar. You ever felt that way? Life is like bipolar. One second it's great, the next second it's terrible. Sometimes this can happen even within moments of each other. Something can be going great in your life. You're on top of the moon. You come into work, and then you get that email. Boom. Something great's happening, and then all of a sudden you read the news. What a downer. Or it can go the other direction. And sometimes these things are going on at the same time. Why is this? It seems absurd. It doesn't seem to make sense. It seems like we're going around on this tilt-a-whirl, 
And it just gets worse and worse and you want to jump off before you vomit. Isn't that what life is like sometimes? It doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to be fair. It seems to be up and down, here and there, good and bad. Well, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8 and finish the chapter today and even dip a little bit into chapter 4. And this section of this book, and really this, this book in general, but this section in particular, has really befuddled people, confused people. Even Bible scholars, they look at it, and it doesn't seem to make sense. Because in one, sen- in one sentence, Solomon is talking about how great life is. The amazing, beautiful things in life that we can enjoy, how great it is. And then in the next breath, he talks about how terrible and awful and tragic they are. So people are like, is he schizophrenic? What's going on? And it goes back and forth like that tilt-a-whirl, like which one is it? Is it good or is it bad? And people have really struggled with this and tried to go to one way or the other. And I just say, well, that's just kind of how life is sometimes, isn't it? I think that's what Solomon is experiencing. He's saying, as we're looking in this life, in this series we're calling it, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, because Solomon was really searching for meaning in life. And when he's looking at these, these goods and these bads, and they're happening almost at the same time or one after the other, he says, how do you find meaning in that? Where's the meaning there? How, how do we figure out all this stuff in life? How do we balance it? Uh, when the terrible things are happening, what do we do? When the good things are happening, do we, how could we not just think about bad stuff all the time? It can seem that life is like that. And Solomon is going to help us navigate that. As we look at how honest he is in this chapter of the Bible, I think for some of you who haven't read this book or aren't followers of Jesus, you're going to be blown away by how honest this section of Scripture is. And that's why, of course, Herman Melville called it the truest of all books. So if you have your Bible, open it with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 9. Verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 3. Go to the end of the chapter. And in verse 9, Solomon begins. We read this last week. What do workers gain from their toil, from all the hard work, the grueling labor that we work all the time? Work is so stressful. Verse 10, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Starts out very pessimistic. We work all the time. It's toilsome. It's really hard. It's a burden that God has put on us. that We have to keep working. And we never have enough money. So we have to keep working even more. It's toilsome, he says. But then in the next verse, in verse 11, he says, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. What? Do you see how he seems almost schizophrenic here? Life is toilsome, a burden that God has put on our backs, but it's actually beautiful. Which one is it? I think it's a little bit of both. And last week we focused on the, the beauty of the seasons of our life, that there's these good seasons, harder seasons, but God makes beautiful things out of all of it. Okay, that sounds really uplifting, doesn't it? Very positive note. But then read the next verse. In verse 11, Solomon goes on to say, He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now we're going to talk a lot about this phrase, God has set eternity in the human heart. But what I want you to see right now is that God has put inside of all of us this longing for something that goes beyond this life. Something longer, more lasting than just this short life, however long it's going to be. But then he says, it sounds great, but then he says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What he's saying is, it makes no sense. I don't understand. What is going on, God? Why are you doing the things you're doing? Good and bad 
They're all happening sometimes at the same time. What's going on here? We want something better. We long for something better. And yet we're not given the something better, it seems like. See how Solomon's kind of going back and forth in this passage. Good, then bad, then bad, then good. One after the other. And, and this is a really interesting phrase that God has set eternity in the human heart. I believe that deep down inside of every single human being, there is this longing for something that lasts beyond this life. That yearning for something better. We're going to talk about that a lot today. But that almost makes this life even harder. I think Woody Allen put this pretty well when he said, I don't want to attain immortality through my works. I want to attain immortality by not dying. I don't want my movies to be remembered generations from now. No, I want to keep living. That's why the eternity I want. I don't want to die. I think we're all longing for that, but that's almost, it seems like a curse. We want something longer, but life is so short. Keeps moving and changing. But in verse 12, he's a little more uplifting and positive. He's going back to that. I like that. Verse 12, he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That's a, that'll preach, right? That's good. Be happy and do good. That's a great message. Very uplifting, right? Be happy and do good. Verse 13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Well, that sounds very good, doesn't it? God has even given you food to eat, drink to drink. Even when you're working hard, it feels like toil. But then you do something and you stand back and say, wow, look what I have made. Look what I've accomplished. That's a good feeling, isn't it? God had given us lots of good things. So now we're just saying, we'll just enjoy life. I know you're longing for something better, but, but I just enjoy life. This is a very uplifting part of the message, isn't it? So some people kind of look at this and say, oh yeah, this is very positive. No, that's all I'm going to say. And there's some very positive things. Now sadly, some Christians, many Christians, think that God doesn't want you to be happy. But it doesn't make any sense because here we, we read that the, the food that we eat, the drink that we drink, the satisfaction we get from our labor is a gift from God. Now I just want you to imagine something for a second. Those of you who are parents know what I'm talking about. Imagine a father gives his son a new bicycle. I just want you to be happy this summer and ride this bicycle around. Some of you kids are like, yeah, dad, elbowing, right? I want that new bike. Now imagine the kid getting that bike and saying, Dad, I love you so much that I'm not going to enjoy this bicycle. I'm going to refrain from riding this bike because I want to show you how dedicated I am in my love for you. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Yet somehow this is what Christians think that God wants. Like he gives us good things. Well, don't enjoy it though. Then you'll be more holy. No, no. Actually, God wants you to enjoy the good things, to eat, to drink, to have a good time, to find satisfaction in your world. That's a good part of life. And that sounds pretty good, right? I like that high note. Too bad Solomon doesn't end there, does he? He goes on in verse 15. Whatever, has, whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past into account. So he's saying, hey, this is the tilt to world Good and then bad. We're swinging back and forth, he's saying. But then in verse 16 he says, And I saw something else under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. 
in the place of justice, wickedness was there. Now, when he says in the place of judgment, he's talking about a good judgment. Now, if you've ever been wronged or an injustice has been done against you, you want a lawyer or a judge to step in and make things right, to bring punishment to those who have done wrong. That's what he's saying. We want a good judgment. We long for it. We want justice to be done. And what Solomon is saying, I look, and instead of judgment, instead of justice, I see wickedness. I see sin and wrongdoing. Instead of seeing the judge who should be impartial, instead he's accepting bribes. And seems very biased. Don't we see this in our own culture? You, You see the government who's supposed to be fair and do things right, and they're doing things unfairly. You see college admissions departments who are supposed to be fair and let everyone in in a fair manner, and they're taking bribes. The people in the place of judgment, in the place of justice, are committing wickedness. We see it in our world, don't we? Again and again and again, Solomon says, this is what life is like. I mean, there's even some worse ones in the news that have really been bothering me about, like Boy Scouts of America. You've seen some of these stories? That there's some 7,000 child molesters and pedophiles who were accused by kids in the Boy Scouts over a span of about 50 years that the Boy Scouts didn't report to the authorities. Just kind of swept it under the rug, acted like it didn't happen. Some of these perpetrators then would move to another troop. They did nothing about it. The people that were supposed to protect our children were allowing injustice and sin and wickedness to occur. We're in the Roman Catholic Church, and I'm not trying to just point out institutions, but these are some of the ones that are in the news right now, right? It can be any institution. The Roman Catholic Church, tens of thousands of accusations of molestation by priests, by the people who are supposed to protect and love children. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Wow, way to bring us down. But this is life, isn't it? That's what Solomon is saying. There's some good, incredible things. We're enjoying life and then all of a sudden we read that news story. Or something happens and we say, why is this wickedness occurring? Why is there so much evil in the world? Even from the people that are supposed to be bringing good and justice, there's wickedness. It's not fair, but it's life. Verse 17, it seems to be a little more optimistic. Solomon says, I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Now, some people see this as very positive. I don't know. In fact, I think Solomon's still a little bit negative. I think this should be a question. And based on what he's going to say next. He's saying, yeah, God's going to make those things right. The the people who are perpetrating wickedness and injustice, they're going to get their due right. It's kind of like us when we're saying, oh yeah, or karma will get them, or Maybe in the next life they'll face something, right? We want there to be justice. We love the news story. Did you see this? That the, uh, the accused rhino poacher that was trampled by an elephant to death and then eaten by lions? Justice right there, right? Yeah, we like that story because someone's getting justice. Got what he deserved. But yet we also read stories like the one about the 106-year-old woman who died, even though she had been a Nazi propagandist, a secretary that worked for Goebbels. 
and, and knew what was going on and continued to work to support the propaganda arm of Nazi Germany. And yet she lived to a ripe old age of 106. And I looked at an interview that she had given just two years before her death at 104, and she showed no regret, no remorse for what she had done. Even one of her childhood friends was a Jew, and that woman had been put to death. She said, oh, it was just my job. I was doing my job. How could someone like that get to live to 106? Doesn't seem fair, does it? Where's the justice for that woman? Where's the justice for all the dead in the Holocaust? Life sometimes is is bleak, and that's why I think Solomon is asking a question mark, especially because of what he says next. Verse 18, he says, I also said to myself, As for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. Real optimistic. Verse 20, all go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth. People struggle with this because they're saying, is Solomon teaching us, is the Bible teaching us that that the same thing happens to animals and human beings? That we're all just going to die and be dust? All we are is dust in the wind? Is that that what the Bible's teaching? But what I think Solomon is saying is, if you look at just our life, if you look at our human lenses, right? Right? You look at the world around us. We don't know what's going to happen, right? We die and then it's over. It's over just like an animal. And if you're thinking all dogs go to heaven, we know that chihuahuas definitely do not. (laughs) But he's saying, hey, look at the animals. They die and they're dust. Humans, we die. We get to become dust too. I don't know if you saw this a few years ago. It was really heavily advertised that you could put your ashes and they could become a tree. You seen this? Seen this advertised? Because that's great. You're going to become a tree just so that a hailstorm can come or lightning could strike and destroy the tree. And you're just prolonging your dust to dust, period, right? It's like, can I just get a few more years out of this tree? That's that eternity that we're longing for in our heart, right? But yet we just see, we don't know. What's going to happen? Will we go to heaven or will we go to hell? What's going to happen? Or is it just dust to dust? But you know what's really sad is that the best... The brightest philosophers of our day from our best institutions say pretty much the same thing. This is what Stephen Hawking said before his death when asked about it. He said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Our most brilliant philosophers just saying in a less poetic way what Kansas said. Dust in the wind, if we can look at these lyrics. That song we were listening to a little bit earlier, written by Carrie Livgren. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Next verse. Now don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away and all your money won't another minute buy. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. 
pretty bleak. If this life is all there is, that's depressing. It's despairing even. Dust to dust. You can see why Solomon is feeling the way he's feeling, right? He's the one that's honest enough to not just put his head in the sand and actually admit what's going on. It's depressing. But then he tries to get a little more optimistic in verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? A lot of people think he ends on a high note right there. I think he's saying, yeah, just enjoy life now. Sorry, dust to dust. You don't know what's going to happen. You're going to die. We all will. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. But this is what our philosophers tell us. They say there's no meaning to life, which just happened to evolve to where we are, just random chance that you exist at all. So therefore, find meaning in your own life. Enjoy it. Just make your own meaning. That's what they tell us. The best philosophers we have today. That's all they can give us. And it sounds pretty bleak like that too, right? You guys may know the the French philosopher Albert Camus. And... Um, I heard his uh, thought kind of summarized this way, and I thought it was pretty, pretty good, because Camus was the one who was actually honest. Instead of saying, well, I'm not going to refuse to see it, I'm going to be honest and admit what I see from my human perspective. And, and this, this way to summarize his thought is basically this. Imagine for yourself, you get to have the best day off that you could think of. You get the day off, and you can do whatever you want. And I just, some of you are like, man, that would be awesome. I'd love a day off, finally. Think about it. What, what would you do? You could go to your favorite restaurant. You could get brunch. You could go out on a walk. You could go on a hike. Whatever you want to do, your favorite day, you, you pick. It's your day off. And then imagine the Grim Reaper comes. And there is no Grim Reaper, but for this scenario, just pretend the Grim Reaper comes to you and says, I'm going to kill you today. But I'm really nice, and I'm going to let you have two hours to enjoy yourself and do whatever you want. Go to your favorite brunch spot. Enjoy the coffee Talk with your loved ones and then just, just enjoy those two hours and I'll see you then and I'll kill you. Now, if that were you, do you think you could enjoy those next two hours? What would you be thinking about the whole time? Well, I'm just going to die. It makes every, all the food that you once loved, it just doesn't taste the same. Conversation just doesn't mean what it meant. You're always thinking about what what could I have done? What should I have done in my life? Albert Camus said that's what it's like. It's what our life's like if you look at it on a whole. We are going to die, and there's no meaning to it. So to try to pretend like you're going to enjoy it, well, that's just putting your head in the sand. Wow. The great Greek philosopher. Epicurus had a a solution to this. This was his philosophy that he taught, and some people even to this day practice this philosophy. It's that, yes, we are going to die. It's bleak. There's meaningless. There's nothing after that. So therefore, do not ever think about the future. That was his philosophy. Become one of my disciples. Just don't think about the future. If you're always thinking about the present, if you're always present in the present, then life will be good. You can enjoy it. But that's ignoring reality, isn't it? Can we do that? We do. I mean, we get on our phones and we're distracted all day. There's another thing to swipe, right? We, we get on our, our TVs and we're watching the next, Netflix, next Netflix show. And then you get to the end, oh, I guess I'll watch the next episode and the next one. Oh, here's another show to watch. We keep ourselves so busy and distracted so that we never are thinking about this bleak reality that if this life is all there is, it's not very good. 
To make things even worse, I'm just going to jump for a second into chapter 4. We're going to get to this next week, but, but this is what he says. I want you to see this. In, in chapter 4, verse 1, Solomon says, Again I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun, all the evil, all the bad th- stuff that was happening. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living. Verse 3. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. He's saying life can be really sucky sometimes. And it's better to be dead because then you'll, you're not thinking. You're dumb. It's better to be dead than living. And better both is the person who's never had to experience how terrible life can be sometimes. Thomas Nagel, another great philosopher of our day, said this. Eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse and all trace of your effort will vanish. If you think about the whole thing, it wouldn't matter if you had never existed. That's what Solomon's saying. This is the bleak picture, John, if this life is all there is. Especially because we long for something more, don't we? We long for something better. We long for justice to be done when there's injustice, for brokenness to be restored, for the people that are lost to be found. We long for something more. But this is what this passage, I think, is telling us. is that earth without heaven is hell. Earth without heaven is hell. That's what Solomon's saying. Yeah, there's good things. There's some great things. But there's so much bad and evil in our world. It seems like hell. And I'm not saying it's literally hell. There is a literal hell. But what I'm saying is that earth, if you just look at this life, if there's nothing beyond this life, then that's bleak. It's a depressing, despairing existence. And I think as more and more people in our society move away from faith, I think this explains things like the fact that more and more people every year are dying deaths of despair. Have you heard this term before? Deaths of despair. These are people that have either taken their own life or because of alcohol or drugs have died. And I think those go hand in hand. I think they're right, these deaths of despair. There's now over 150,000 of these a year in our society. And because of that, for over the last two years, for the first time in all of Western civilization, life expectancy in our country has gone down, shortened. And the people with alcohol and and, and drug addiction, like I've talked about, there's been studies that show that 90% of alcoholics say that their life is utterly meaningless, and 100% of drug-addicted people say the same thing. They're experiencing this. Earth without heaven is hell. It's hell. It feels like hell. When is it going to get better? I want to tell you about another guy, Roy Sullivan. He's famous. He's in the the World uh, Records book, Guinness Book of World Records, because Roy Sullivan, a Virginia man, was struck by lightning seven times and survived. Pretty incredible, right? Seven times over 25 years and survived every single lightning strike. If lightning doesn't strike twice, I mean, think about the probabilities of that. I think it's somewhere in the range of 1.5 times 10 to the 25 chance of happening. And I don't know much about math, but I know that's probably a big number. Right? That's very unlikely. This man is extremely, extremely lucky to get struck by lightning that many times. But did you know that he went and shot himself? Not because of damage caused by the lightning, 
but because of a jilted lover. His life was too hard. The luckiest man maybe ever to live thought life wasn't worth living. What? But he could feel the existential despair. He could feel that his life without heaven was hell. Did you notice in my big idea I said without heaven? I think that's the key here. Life without heaven is hell. But what if there is a heaven? What if this life isn't all there is? What if there's more? And I think that eternal longing that God has put in every single one of our hearts points to there being more. I'll never forget, and I've told this story before, but I'll never forget sitting next to this woman's bedside. Her name was Cindy, and Cindy was dying of a brain tumor. Cindy had two young daughters that were still at home in elementary school. Cindy had this inoperable uh, terminal brain tumor. She knew that it was only a matter of time before she died. And when I went to go visit her in her house for the first time, on the television when we went in there was the news. And the news was telling about a story in Syria where the Syrian government had gassed their own citizens, killing hundreds of children. She saw that. She was feeling what she was feeling, and she said to me, she was not a believer at the time. She said to me, there has got to be some place better than this. She knew it. There's got to be something better. There's got to be more than this life because it seems so awful at times. Yeah, there's good. She enjoyed her kids, but then this terminal cancer comes. How do you put them all together? But she had a longing, and I think that longing was put in her heart because of God. Because God said there is more than this life. And I believe that that longing actually points us forward to the fact that there is life after this. C.S. Lewis would say that. He said that longing that every single one of us feels, even though we might not talk about it. That nostalgia for a time that maybe never even existed in our lives. This longing for something better that that we feel like disconnected from and we just want to be connected to it. C.S. Lewis says that that actually shows us that there probably is something Because he said, think about it, every other desire in your life has a fulfillment. If a baby is hungry, he says, then there's milk to feed the baby. If a duckling wants to swim, there's water. If a man wants to have sex, well, there's sex. C.S. Lewis says, well, for every desire in this life, there is a satisfaction except for that one. This longing for something better that could never happen in this life. C.S. Lewis says that the best explanation for that is that there is something that maybe we were not created for this world alone. G.K. Chesterton, one of Lewis's friends, wrote this. G.K. Chesterton, if we can find it, thank you. He said that the modern philosopher had told me again and again that I was in the right place and I had still felt depressed. Then I heard that I was in the wrong place and my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. I knew now why I could feel homesick at home because we're not made for just this life. It's not dust to dust. There's more. There is an eternity. I find it really fascinating that in the very last verse in chapter chapter 3, Solomon wrote this. For who can bring them, us humans, who can bring them to see what will happen after them? That's the real question. Who's going to show us what's going to happen after death? Who's going to show 
show us if there's anything beyond this life. Solomon didn't know it then. But that there would come one who would, who would come here to show us what heaven was like. The man, Jesus Christ. See, it says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came from heaven, from glory. That Jesus was the eternal Son of God who had been with God from the beginning. And then that Jesus left His glory on high and He came into this world full of grace and truth. Jesus was heaven walking among us. He was the eternal man made mortal. And Jesus walked among us and He was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace because He showed kindness and compassion to everyone, showing us what life should be like. He loved the unlovable. He went to the oppressed and He cared for them and healed them. He found the lost. He restored the broken. He was full of grace and he was also full of truth because he told people the truth. He called out hypocrites for being hypocrites and he spoke that all people needed to turn to him in repentance and he told people another truth in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14 verses 2 and 3 Jesus said, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus said, I'm from heaven. I know what it's like. There's a mansion there and there's rooms for anyone who would believe in me. And it's beautiful and perfect. It is paradise, he would say elsewhere. And he said, I've been there. And when I'm going, I'll come back to take you there with me. Jesus was the one that Solomon was longing for. Who can show us what's going to happen after this life? Well, Jesus came and said, I will tell you. I will show you what heaven is like. And then Jesus said this. You want to know the way? And his disciples asked him. You want to know how to get there? In verse 6 he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know what's going to happen afterwards? I'll tell you, and then I will show you. I will bring you there because I am the way. The only way. Believe in me, and you will have eternal life with me in paradise. It's a pretty incredible claim, isn't it? So why should we listen to his claim? Well, because Jesus would make another claim. That he would die, and that three days later he would rise from the dead. And then he pulled it off. And if he did that, then we should probably listen to everything else he said about heaven, right? Because he might know a thing or two. See, what happened on the cross when Jesus died was that eternity was killed. That heaven went to hell and suffered hell on our account. The eternal man died on our behalf. Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, who was perfect, just like heaven, he lived that perfect life and he died even though he, he, was, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was crucified, he was executed even though he had done nothing wrong. But then on the third day he rose from the dead to show us that there is life after this one. That there is this proof that there can be resurrection and Jesus came in this new body. It, it was similar to his old one because it had the scars from his hands. But yet it was an immortal body that he lived in and it appeared to... Over 500 people over a span of 40 days before he ascended into heaven. Where he is there right now in that same new immortal body. Waiting to bring all who believe in him and have died to be with him there. That's pretty incredible. And we know that because he rose from the dead, all his claims, we should probably listen to them. 
He probably was the man who came from heaven who could show us what happens after this life. That we are not just dust to dust, but we can be eternal with him. Now I shared some of the lyrics from Dust in the Wind, and it's, it's a bleak song, isn't it? All we are is dust in the wind. But the author of that song, Carrie Livgren, had a, a bigger story to tell after he wrote that song. And I want to show you this story right now in this video. Both of my grandmothers and our family's best friend all died the same week. So at the age of nine, and of course kids think they're eternal, you know, dying is something that happens to people on TV. And suddenly I was confronted with uh, grieving and weeping and death. So with that in mind, I, I, I kind of set a goal in my life, and, and I had these two parallel goals. One was to make it big as a rock star, and the other was to find out what life's all, and the meaning of life, you know. The dream of uh, being a rock star slowly, very slowly, began to come true. And it kind of took precedence, and uh, I got all caught up in that, that experience. And for a young guy to, to get to a point where everything that this world tells you, you go after. Money, fame, fortune, success, girls. It was all handed to us on a platter. And that was an incredibly destructive thing. It was not at all, I mean, a huge bubble popped. And it created a crisis where my other goal suddenly came to the forefront. I carried around a suitcase that the, the roadies affectionately called the library. It was full of books. It must have weighed 150 pounds. Every kind of religious book you could imagine. I went through all the major religions of the world, all the minor ones. I was scraping the bottom of the barrel. I, I was into religions nobody ever heard of. But i got to tell you, I did not want to become a Christian. And uh, we happened to meet up with another band that was, uh, they were our opening act called Louisiana's LaRue. And their, their lead guitar player had long blonde hair. I had long blonde hair. He was the lead player. I was the lead player. I was the main songwriter. He was the main songwriter. We, 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 we hit it off right away. Well, then I found out he was deeply into spiritual things. And uh, much to my disappointment, I found out that he was a Christian. So I'm sitting in the back of this bus, and he's, he's reading to me stuff out of the Bible. So I'm debating with him. And, but when he read me something out of the Bible, it was like he was sticking a dagger in my heart. And it began to eat away at me. And way down somewhere, I knew this was truth. And I, and I tell people the, the experience was like if you're in a barrel and you're going down the Niagara, Niagara River, and you're out in the middle of the river, and the falls is, is coming up, and you can hear the roar, you can feel the spray, and you know you're going over it, but you don't want to, and but you can't fight the current. Well, that's what it felt like. I, I was coming toward this, this huge event that I really didn't want to happen. So I, actually, we split up, and he gave me a Bible and a little book by Hal Lindsey called The Liberation of Planet Earth, and uh, one night at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning after a concert in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was in a hotel room by myself, and I, I got this little Hal Lindsey book out. You know, he had these little diagrams of what Jesus, uh, what he did on the cross actually meant, who he actually was. And it got to the part where, uh, you know, Hal Lindsey said something like, if, if he was actually raised from the dead, what does that mean? That means he's alive right now as you're reading this. And that hit me like a train. And, uh, I guess what happened, I, I kind of surrendered. You know, I'd been searching for God so long, I was weary. Didn't want to be, be a Christian, but I said, I got on my knees and I, I surrendered. And I said, if, if this is true, then I don't care if I don't like it. I want the truth. And at that moment, uh, I became somebody different. Totally, totally changed me. Fulfilled. I knew everything I'd ever been looking for had been found. 
pretty incredible, right? After, you know, writing Dust in the Wind and then he became a follower of Jesus, he decided to write uh, his own, you know, new album. It was a solo album. And on that album, there's a song called Just One Way. And these are the words to that song. You can pull that up, Wes. It says, all my life I looked for something real. Place to place I wandered restlessly. I just needed something I could feel. And when I found the truth, it set me free. Just one way, just one way, just one way. From the dark to the light, there's just one way. It's echoing the words of Jesus, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Gary Livgren found that, and I hope that you will find that as well. Because there are not... Uh, many paths up the same mountain. Jesus basically said there's a whole bunch of different mountains and only one of them will take you to where you want to go. Only one of them will take you to eternity to heaven. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. There is no other way. You've got to put your faith in me. Now we all have that, that homesickness, that longing for heaven. And I want you to embrace that, to go after that, even if you're saying, I don't want to be a follower of Jesus. But it doesn't matter if it's the truth. You've got to believe it. And you've got to accept the offer that Jesus has for you, that if you turn to him in faith and repentance, that he says eternal life is yours. It's a gift if you accept it. Now that's an incredible offer. But it's a choice that we all have to make. C.S. Lewis would write a book called The Great Divorce, a really interesting analogy of heaven and hell. But in the preface to that book, he said something interesting. He said, I think earth if chosen instead of heaven, will turn out to have been all along only a region in hell. And earth, if put second to heaven, to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself. See, earth without heaven is hell. But if we believe in Jesus Christ, the way to heaven, it makes this earth, this life better all the hardships that are happening, we know that all the brokenness will one day be restored. We know that those are hurts, are the injustices that are happening, that will, there will be justice, there will be healing, there will be no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death, that this life can't be all there is. There is something better, something more in the next life. We know that. And that's why this earth could feel like hell or it could be your path to heaven itself. And I want that for you, but you have to choose it. So I want to challenge you today, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about heaven, to strive for heaven, to ask God in that longing to make this life better because you'll know even in the hardship there can be beauty out of it like we talked last week because heaven is coming. And if you're not a follower of Jesus but you're ready today, maybe today is today to make the decision to fill that eternal hole in your heart with the eternal life that only Jesus offers. Would you please bow your heads with me? Lord God, I pray for all of us. We long for something better, something more. Sometimes this life seems so awful, so terrible. There's the ups and downs, the goods and the bads. Sometimes things, the the bads just keep getting worse. But Lord God, we are longing for heaven. We're longing for the day that you will make it new again. And that you'll help us even in this life to, to not just persevere, but to make life better, to serve others and love others, bringing your heaven down here to earth. And Lord God, right now, I'm praying for those who have never made the decision yet. So I want to do something with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. I want, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to start praying for the people here that have not made the decision yet.
not only here in this place, but maybe watching online. Let's pray for their hearts. But if you're here and you're saying, Matt, I long for that eternal. I want eternal life. I want Jesus' salvation. If that's you and you're ready to make a decision today, would you please raise your hand? Praise God. Awesome. I want to just lead you in a prayer right now. And you can say this prayer silently to yourself. God, I long for more. I long for eternal life. I confess I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. God, I accept your offer of forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, thank you for saving me. And and God, help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Now, if you made that decision for the first time today, um, we're going to have some people in the back. We have these special blue bags we want to give you. There's some, some books in there. We just want to give you a gift. And then what we're going to do right now is we're just going to praise God. We're going to respond in worship to that eternal God the, you know, with the eternal hearts now. And then we're going to take communion together as we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. So would you please stand and we remember the one who came down from heaven for us.